What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. The NBA Finals matchup is set, and Game 1 between the Heat and Nuggets will take place tomorrow night. So I'm recording this on Wednesday, May 31st. Uh, The Nuggets took care of uh, the Lakers in a sweep, so they've been sitting around for over a week waiting for the Finals to start. Meanwhile, the Heat uh, did end up going to a Game 7 against the Celtics. That series wrapped up uh, on Monday night this week. Um, So I'll recap both of those series, talk about outlook for the two eliminated teams, as well as how the two teams that did win were able to do so. Uh, Then I will preview the finals matchup between Denver and Miami. I'll talk about how I think those two teams match up, as well as making my predictions who will win and be the NBA champion this year. So uh, with that being said, let's get right into it. So starting off with the Eastern Conference, since this series is still very fresh uh, for all of us right now. With the Heat winning a Game 7 in Boston handily after having a 3-0 lead that Boston would go on to force a Game 7 from. And they're only the fourth team to ever do that. Um, But they did fall short, and so the elusive 3-0 comeback remains just that, elusive. Uh, Teams are now 0-151 all-time in that scenario. And there were really a lot of people who thought the Celtics would pull this off. And I I honestly thought they had a really good chance as well. But just looking back at the the series overall, game by game, game one uh, in Boston, Boston looked good early. They were up nine at halftime, but the Heat went on to outscore them 46 to 25 in the third quarter. Uh, They shot the hell out of the ball in that quarter and were able to Take a pretty commanding lead into the fourth before cruising to a seven-point victory, which that game was not really as close as the final score might indicate based on how the Heat played in the third quarter. Then game two, uh, most people thought Boston would bounce back. There was some very long streak that had been going on of teams who had lost game one at home. Uh, They'd won double-digit games consecutively in game two to tie the game at one, but that would not be the case here. Even though Boston was up eight entering the fourth quarter, the Heat outscored Boston 36 to 22 in the fourth quarter and finished on a 24 to nine run after Grant Williams <laughs> tried to get in the face of Jimmy Butler. Um, so they were able to steal game two by six points as well as they majorly out executed Boston down the stretch. Then game three. This game was really never close. Uh, They basically blew Boston out from start to finish. They were up 8 after the first, up 15 at halftime, up 30 after three quarters, and ended up winning by uh, 26 uh, is the final score. Miami hit 19 threes in that game. And like I said, it really was never a uh, competitive game. Then game four, uh, the Heat did have a chance to sweep the Celtics at home. Uh, The Heat were up six at halftime, but Boston had a really strong second half. Uh, They scored 38 points in the third quarter and outscored Miami by 15 in that quarter. They ended up scoring uh, or outscoring Miami by 23 in the second half overall. And they won pretty handily by 17 points. Uh, This was probably their most impressive game of the series, in my opinion. They held Miami to uh, 99 points in that one as well. Then game five, back in Boston. Uh, Boston went up by 15 after one, and it was never really that close uh, after that. Miami did make some small runs. I think they did cut it to single digits a few times, but Boston responded every single time. 
Uh, we know Boston's a team that's uh, good playing from ahead. So uh, they did end up winning that game by 13. Then getting to game six, uh, there were a lot of people saying that if the Heat didn't win this one, then they didn't. <laughs> they weren't going to win the series. Um, and despite the Celtics having their worst three-point shooting game of the entire season at 20%, uh, they still led most of the way, and they were up seven entering the fourth quarter. But Miami kept chipping away and chipping away, and they did go on a late run to go up one with three seconds left. Um, Jimmy Butler was then fouled on a three-point shot. Uh, <laughs> great challenge by Missoula to turn it from a two to a three. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen something like that, a challenge that uh, completely backfired late in a, in a playoff game. But he got three free throws, went to the line, knocked down all three. Um, there was really no doubt in most people's mind that he was going to make all of them. Uh, then they uh, get the ball back to Celtics do with three seconds left. Marcus Smart uh, gets the ball off the inbound, takes a terrible fadeaway three-point shot right away. Uh, but it's a good thing he shot it when he did because it did give them enough time for an offensive rebound. And Derek White was able to tip the ball in as time expired. And the Celtics were able to steal that game. Um which really, they were winning most of the game, but Miami had all the momentum late. Uh, and it was a pretty demoralizing way for a game to end, especially when you're up 3-0 and now the series is suddenly tied at three apiece. But I kind of weirdly felt like all the pressure then shifted back to the Celtics for Game 7. Because, I mean, especially after the way Game 6 ended, everyone kind of assumed the Heat had already blown it, basically. Then the Celtics would win. There was a lot of people saying game six was game seven for Miami and that they had no chance of going back into Boston and winning game seven after how game six ended. And especially after they had already won two games in Boston, uh, winning three games on the road against a 57-win team is not easy to do. But then we get to game seven. Tatum turns his ankle on basically the first play of the game. He did stay in the game, but he looked very, very hobbled, uh, basically the entire rest of the game. Um, and both teams came out pretty flat to start in this one, but uh, after that, the Heat kind of uh, shook it off, the early game, seven jitters, and they started making shots, and the Celtics really never did. Uh, they only scored 15 points in the first quarter, which was their lowest output of the entire season for a first quarter. They started the game 0 from 11 from 3, um, and the Heat built up a 17-point lead in that second quarter. Um, Malcolm Brogdon came in and was a very quick uh, yank because he was minus 15 in very limited minutes. He just really hadn't been playable down the stretch in this series because of that hand injury. Couldn't shoot the ball. Comes in, airballs a 3 immediately. The Celtics did get the uh, lead down to 11 before halftime, but really no one on the Celtics showed any signs of life uh, except for Derek White, who had a really nice personal run there uh, in the third quarter. Robert Williams showed some small spurts as well, but yeah, I mean, Jalen Brown was nowhere to be found. Tatum was clearly being passive, didn't really look like himself after tweaking that ankle. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, the Celtics just totally imploded. I mean, the Heat built up nearly a 30-point lead. And really all you need to see was the Celtics had their end-of-the-bench scrubs in with two minutes left in a Game 7 of an Eastern Conference Finals game at home. 
Um, so really, obviously not the way uh, you'd expect their season to end. Uh, but just moving to the Heat, you just cannot say enough about this team. They have faced so much adversity and a ton of internal attrition. Um, Tyler Harrow's been out since the first game of the playoffs. Oladipo's been out as well. Gabe Vincent missed a game in this series. Kyle Lowry has been extremely inconsistent uh, throughout the playoffs. Um, and they were playing against a team with two All-NBA guys uh, in one of the deepest benches in the league. A team that was coming off a finals run and has made uh, five of the last seven Eastern Conference finals, largely with the same core. Uh, so this team basically has no margin for error whatsoever, which is why it's so impressive how tight they keep their margins, um, given all of that. They've got to be the highest execution team in the NBA. They execute their game plan flawlessly. Um, they always play hard in defense. They consistently are able to turn their opponent over. They take care of the ball themselves. They get good shots. I mean, they shot the hell out of the ball in this series. They were... 43.4% from three as a team. And they shot 58% on wide open three pointers, which was actually the best in a single playoff series for any team in the last 10 years. And maybe the most impressive is they don't get down on themselves when they're down. They've now won six games in this postseason, and they actually have a winning record in these games when they've trailed by 10 or more points. That's half their wins. They've only won 12 games. So half of their games, they've been able to come back from. Um, a double-digit deficit, and when they go down 10, they have actually won more of the, those games than they've lost, um, which is just insane. And obviously, Jimmy Butler has been the the main story here on their side. He's having a phenomenal postseason, uh, averaging 29 a game, seven rebounds, six assists, two steals a game, uh, 48% from the field. He's just been uh, as good as you could ask any player to be in the postseason. Uh, he actually hasn't played. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well in this series. He was only 42% from the field, um, sub 35 from three-point range. But he was a little hobbled too, and he's still playing 40 minutes a game. But the, the thing with him is you know he's always going to show up when it matters most. We saw him take over in fourth quarters, uh, particularly in game two, uh, once he got a little uh, <laughs> riled up with Grant Williams. But, I mean, maybe the, the biggest reason they won the series is because Caleb Martin. And I know Jimmy Butler won the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, but Martin had as good of a case as anyone. I probably would have given it to Jimmy as well. I know he didn't shoot as well, but he was still the leading scorer by a pretty comfortable margin. Um, was also the leading assist getter, second on the team in rebounds. Averaged two and a half steals. Um, but Martin shot 60 percent from the field and 49 percent from three he was 22 for 45 in the series he made more threes than uh brown and tatum combined <laughs> um and shot half the attempts they did combined um and it's just crazy that what he's been able to do and i think one of the biggest differences for them last year to this year was a lot of his minutes were going to pj tucker who is a good defender, probably as good as Caleb Martin, maybe even better. But P.J. was such a non-threat offensively, and Caleb Martin, it just clearly is a threat offensively. And, and it's crazy because it's not just catch-and-shoot stuff. I mean, he's creating his own shot, mid-range step-backs, off the dribble, in transition three-pointers, 
He's driving in the basket. I mean, he really had a full arsenal, and I'm not sure it's going to be sustainable. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if next year we go back and he's back to his eight or nine points per game in the regular season. But, hey, man, I mean, he stepped up in the biggest moment. He's a, a big-time player, playoff performer. Um, at least he was in this series. He only started two of the seven games, but by the end of this uh, series, he was playing like 40 to 45 minutes every game and was really the the biggest reason they won outside of Jimmy Butler. Um, Bam wasn't even phenomenal in this series. I mean, he only averaged 15 points a game, uh, shot below 50% from the field, and he had his struggles. I mean, there was, uh, especially in game seven, I mean, he was missing some bunnies, man. Um, <laughs> I saw some funny tweets to, saying that he looked like DeAndre Ayton out there, uh, which was true as a Suns fan. I can tell you um, he, he he wasn't taking advantage of the mismatches he was getting, which was his classic Ayton. But yeah, I mean, Bam was a little underwhelming, but a lot of their other role guys just played great. Gabe Vincent shot above 50% from three-point range, uh, averaged 16 points a game, and they really missed him in the game he didn't play. Um him and Max Struess are going to get some really nice paychecks this offseason. They're both free agents um, after going undrafted. So I don't know if Miami's going to retain them, but somebody's going to pay them. And then Duncan Robinson, I know he had the two huge misses in game six that would have won the game if he hit either of them probably. But he he shot 48% from three, still forty or 56% from the field. Um and it's crazy because his contract looked like one of the worst in the whole league. But it's it's funny how quickly that stuff can turn. He certainly has regained some of that trade value. Um, I, I I know some Knicks fans and some Celtics fans, and both of them are terrified every time he shoots the ball. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, he's a sharpshooter. But he also weirdly hasn't been some massive liability on defense like we've seen in the past. And he's even been doing some off-the-dribble stuff. I mean, we saw some games where he's blowing by uh, a number of the Celtics defenders, which is just wild. <laughs> when you look at their personnel, there's just no reason that Robinson should be able to do that. Um, Lowry struggled a little bit in this series, and Love shot the ball well, but uh, they did not play him a ton down the stretch. He actually didn't play uh, in two of the games, most notably in Game 7. Um, but Haywood Highsmith gave him some nice minutes, and credit to Spolstra. Um, I, man, he is in my opinion, undoubtedly the best coach in the NBA right now. I don't think it's particularly close. This is now his sixth finals appearance in 13 years. Um, and he's still young, and he just appears to be getting better and better and better. Um, taking both the 2020 team and this team to the finals is just beyond impressive when you look at They basically have Jimmy Butler, who's a all-star, all-NBA caliber player, and then Bam, who's like a fringe all-star, and then that's it. I mean, in 2020, Tyler Harrow was still a rookie. They didn't have Lowry. It was an old Goran Dragic was really someone they were legitimately uh, relying on offensively. And then now you've got no Harrow. Um, Lowry is a sub-40% shooter <laughs> most of the time just from the field. He's not reliable. They've got injuries. Um, Bam's still their second-best guy. And then I don't, I don't even know who their third is. Uh, it was Caleb Martin in this series, but it's been Gabe Minson at times. It's been Max Struess at, at times. It's been Lowry at times. Um, he went to the uh, in a very effective zone, letting the Celtics sort of 
um, live and die by the three as long as they were closing out super hard, which credit to them because they really were. Um, all, all of their threes they were able to recover on really well, which is probably a big reason why um, the Celtics struggled a lot at shooting in this series. Um, he benched his bigs late in the series. Zeller and Love uh, went smaller with Highsmith. Um, was able to not let the Celtics take advantage of that, really. They were able to defend um, their big guys still. And, I mean, this really, as a team, is a historical run. They've knocked off the one-seed Bucks, the two-seed Celtics. Those were, I think, the top two favorites to win the whole thing. And the, <laughs> the Heat knocked them off as an eight-seed. Uh, so I don't even know what to think of this team anymore. They're honestly like a cheat code. They're not real. <laughs> Every time you count them out, that's when they play their best. So um, a lot of teams are going to count them out in the finals, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they outperform what we think they're going to do. But, yeah, credit to them. They have just pulled all the right levers. Spolstra has. All of their role players have stepped up. Jimmy has been a little more inconsistent recently, but he shows up late in games when it matters most. They've gotten contributions from everybody. They consistently play hard on defense. Um, They just are a high IQ team. They're smart. They make good decisions. Their players believe in themselves. Their coaches believe in their players. And I just can't say enough about how impressive this run has been overall for them. But moving on to the Celtics side of things, I know Tatum did tweak his ankle in Game 7, but I just want to start off by saying, to me, that is not a sufficient excuse for this. You had six healthy games of Jason Tatum in a series against an eight seed. If you can't take care of business in that, then stuff like this happens. You let it get to a Game 7, and anything can happen. You're a twisted ankle away from losing the series. That's why you don't go down 3-0. That's why you take care of business and at least win one game at home when you have home court advantage in the first two games. That's why when with your backs against the wall down 2-0, you don't lose a game by 30. I mean, they had plenty of opportunities to, to win this series outright. And if you think about it, I mean, the Heat were a box out away from winning five out of seven games. <laughs> like, like the Heat just were the better team in the series. So I don't I don't really care for any tweaked ankle excuses here. Um, and honestly, I think there's just some greater inherent issues with the Celtics in terms of their style of play. They are they take the live by three, die by the three to the absolute extreme. And they had, unfortunately for them. When you play like that, you're going to have some awful shooting nights, and they had them at the worst possible times. I mean, in game six, they went seven for 35, shot 20% from three, and then game seven, they go nine for 42. That's 21%. So they were 16 for 77 in game six and seven combined. I believe that was their two lowest shooting (laughs) three-point games of the whole year. It's basically right at 20% over a two-game span. And you're just, if you're going to shoot that high volume from three and you're going to have that low of a percentage, you're just not going to win games. And so to me, it's, you gotta, you gotta have a plan B. Um, I understand that the three point shot is very prominent in today's game. And there's a lot of teams where we end up complaining that they don't shoot enough threes and that's why they lose. Cause they've got to make up those points somehow. 
But I'm sorry, if you are shooting this poorly over such a large sample, you got to switch things up. You got to have another option. You got to dump the ball down in, into the post or something. Tatum is a plenty good enough post player. Um, you've got some good mid range shooters in both Brown and Tatum. Um, but like run more pick and roll. I don't know. It just seems like their only default was to shoot threes. For example, when they're running that zone, they're, um, they've got Horford in sort of the middle of the zone, uh, zone breaker role, which to me, I don't know why you wouldn't have Tatum there. Even if he's got the tweak ankle, at least he's going to draw attention. Um, and he's, he's still a much improved playmaker. So I don't know why you wouldn't put Brown or Tatum in that role. They put Horford there and he's just not a threat to score inside. Even when they've got a small lineup up there, Miami does, he's just not a threat down there. And so they dump it down to him. He's just, and every time he's, he's kicking it back out to three and then you're shooting threes. Miami's one of the best closeout teams in the whole NBA. And so I don't know. I just think that they've got to have some ways to switch it up. And honestly, a lot of this falls on Joe Missoula that they don't switch it up more. I mean, he's got no feel for timeouts either. He's been complained about all year that he doesn't ever take timeouts when they go on runs. And then last night in game seven, he literally calls a timeout when they had like a, a fast break going. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I was so confused at that. Uh, they literally had numbers on uh, pushing the other way, and he calls timeout then, but refuses to do so when they're on like a uh, 11-3 square and run or something like that. Um, but Missoula doesn't get all the blame here. At the end of the day, the players did not execute. Um, Jason Tatum was not good in this series. Uh, he had some up and downs in the Sixers series, but a lot more downs in this series. He had uh, He was 5-13 for 13 in Game 7. Uh, he was 8 for 22 in Game 6, including 0 of 8 from 3. Um, game 3 as well, he went 6 for 18, 1 for 7 from 3. Uh, he had basically uh, 2 to 3 pretty good games, 3 really bad games, and 2 games where he played well overall but totally crumbled down the stretch. Um, if you look at his first couple games, the Game 1 and 2, where they actually had a legitimate chance to to win in the fourth quarter. He didn't even attempt a field goal in game one. uh, And he had three turnovers in the fourth quarter game two. He was O of three from the field with two turnovers in the game three. He didn't attempt a shot. And I'm not even sure if he even played because they were down by so much. The fact that you could go three games in a playoff series as the number one option in the conference finals and not even have a field goal attempt is just, baffling to me i mean five turnovers and zero shots made in a three game span of the fourth quarter in two of those extremely winnable games is just there's no explanation for it um he averaged nearly three and a half turnovers a game as well he shot 23 percent from three for the series um by game seven he after tweaking the ankle he was a total uh, <laughs> traffic cone out there on defense. I mean, he just couldn't move. And then you go to you when your player gets hurt like that. You hope the next guy will step up and Jalen Brown. And he did ev- anything but that. He was awful this series. He was uh, just under forty two percent from the field overall, but he was seven for f- forty three from three. That is sixteen percent from the series. 
he was outscored uh, by Caleb Martin in the series. <laughs> um, not sure how, how that happens, but he had 133 points on 134 shots for the series. Meanwhile, Martin had 135 points on 88 shots. So that's the series right there. I mean, how do you, Brown got outscored by Martin overall and took basically an extra 50 shots to do it. <laughs> uh, not to mention game seven was maybe one of the worst games of his entire career. I mean, he had eight turnovers, um, only 19 points, one and nine from three, eight for 23 from the field. He had a seven for 23 game, one for seven from three in that game. He had a six for 17 game, 0 for seven from three in that game. He had more turnovers than assists in the in the series, which that's been a, a problem for him his whole career, honestly. I mean, the advanced analytics stats really don't like him as a player. If you look at them, they would not indicate that he's really an all-star level player. Certainly not an all-NBA level player. And a big reason why is because he just turns the ball over a little too much. And he doesn't play make for others really at all. Um, and it's really been his biggest weakness. There's a highlight reel of him losing the ball, getting stripped. He, he can't really dribble to his left very well. Um, I know he might have been banged up on his hand, but still, man. I mean, it, it, it was really bad for him in this series. Um, Derek White was really the only Celtics player that played consistently pretty well. Um, he showed some fight, especially in Game 7. He shot 49% from three in the series. I believe they said he made at least three threes in every single game. Um and then Smart was inconsistent. Robert Williams wasn't getting consistent minutes. I mean, he played less than 20 minutes a game. Uh, he had some foul trouble in a few games. Al Horford did not shoot the ball well. He was sub-30% from three, only 40% from the field overall. Brogdon was a total shell of himself. I mean, he was basically unplayable um, towards the latter half of the series. I think he didn't play in one of the games. And then game seven, he barely played. Um, and was a huge minus because offensively he just could not shoot the ball. He was 3 for 18 from 3 from the series. That's 17%. He was only 31% from the field. He averaged less than 6 points a game after being the 6th man of the year and the 3rd leading scorer on this team during the regular season. And they just, yeah, they didn't get enough. It's Miami's star players outplayed Boston's star players, and Miami's role players outplayed Boston's role players, which it should have been the other way around when you take a step back because most people had Tatum as a better player than Butler coming into the series, and most people said that the Celtics were one of the deepest teams in the whole league despite um, the Heat also being one of the most banged up and thinnest teams in, in the whole league, so... This was really not a good showing for them. And I, they have been such a just frustrating team, uh, not just this playoffs, but really over this whole run with this team. They have played, I think, seven game sevens now, which is crazy in the um, Tatum-Brown era. Which is a testament to them because they've won a lot of them. But at the same time, it's because they don't know how to take care of business. They just mess around. Any given series, they're good for at least two stinker games. Two games where they just don't show up. They don't execute down the stretch. They're undisciplined. They um, just don't take care of business. Um, 
and in this series they had four of them, <laughs> um, and against the Sixers they had three of them. So it's just like you can't win in the playoffs like that because as you go further along, you're just going to play better and better teams. And they ran into a team who is way less talented than them, but they were the opposite of them in that sense. They always execute down the stretch. They play better than they should. They execute. They play defense. They don't mess around when they've got a chance to steal a game. And the Celtics do just the opposite. They throw games away. They're sloppy on offense. They... um, just haven't been nearly the same defensively as they were last year. I don't know if that's because Missoula versus Udoka. I don't know if the schemes are different. I don't know. I mean, on paper, they should have a really good defensive team, but they have a ton of lapses there. And I really think they need uh, like a true point guard or a playmaker. Um, I know there's not a lot of them around the league, but like a Chris Paul would do wonders for this team. They just need an adult on offense to run their sets late down the stretch because they get – like when Tatum is having one of his otherworldly games, like Game Seven against the Sixers, they're like impossible to beat. But you can't rely on that. And when he's off, they just are very limited. It, they basically, if Tatum's, they win one of two ways: either Tatum goes off, or they make all their threes. Other than that, it, they don't win. The only way they can win when they don't make their threes is when Tatum bails them out. And if he's not doing that, then it's really difficult for them. Uh, to win games. So looking forward, um, I don't know. I feel like Missoula probably saved his job. I I understand keeping him just because four coaches in four years for a team with championship aspirations is kind of crazy. I know that it's it wasn't totally in their control with the Udoka situation, but still. Uh, but at the same time, I do not think Missoula is a is ready to be a coach for a contender. If he got fired tomorrow, do we think he'd be hired this coaching cycle I personally do not I think he would find an assistant role somewhere which probably would be good for him it's a shame because he is so young that if he had gotten five more years as an assistant under a good coach he might end up being a really really good coach down the line but he he just wasn't ready he was thrown into it I didn't like his comment about how they're not going to change the way they play as far as shooting threes he said he was he basically doubled down on that his timeouts have been spotty he it appears that he just doesn't have the same pull in the locker room that Udoka did or even Brad Stevens back when he was coaching. So I I kind of think they'll keep him um, just because they were able to come back for a game seven and they were one game away from the finals. But I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of him. I And if they do keep him, it's going to be real high pressure for him next next year. I'll say that. As far as the future goes for the team, I really think they could benefit from shaking it up a little bit. Jalen Brown uh, is due up for the Supermax extension because he made All-NBA. And with the new CBA, it's it's going to be really tough for them to build a team if he does sign that. Basically, it would be a five-year, $290 million deal, roughly, which the the first year of that, he'll be making north of $50 million, And by the last year, he'll be at $66 million. And given how restrictive the new um, cap rules are for the um, new CBA, if they assign him and Tatum to those long contracts uh, with the Supermax, then, I mean, it's going to be, they're going to start, they're going to look like the Suns did this year in a few years with two two all-star players and no depth whatsoever. And it's going to be really tough because 
Brown is just not at that level. Um, the Suns might be able to get away with it because Booker and KD are both probably top 10 guys. And Tatum is that guy. He's a top 10 guy in my opinion. In my opinion. But Brown is not. And so it, it's it's going to be really tough to build a contender. And Brown is good enough to be a number two. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not saying he's not. But if you you need a more consistent number one. Like Tatum just hasn't proven that he can be like on the peak Kevin Durant or Jokic or Giannis level where it's like you know exactly what you're getting from him every series or even just game to game. And because of his inconsistencies, I don't know if Brown and him are good enough as a duo because they're both just a little too inconsistent. Um, so I don't know. I I would probably try to trade Brown just because of the contract situation, and I think that they'll get a, they'll get a good haul for him. I think you could get a Damian Lillard for him maybe, or um, if you don't want to package him for another star, you could consolidate um, even to Portland again, go for Simons and the number three pick, or um, I know the Hawks have been rumored to be interested. Maybe you can get a, a DeJounte Murray, or um, there's a lot of names out there that they could get for him that I think would be good fits. Um, but I also do want to put in perspective with this team. I think they are a victim of their own success. Um, like if this was their third playoff run and they lost in a game seven to go to the finals after coming off a finals run, we'd be like, damn, man, they got a bright future. Um, but because it's been like six, seven years of this, um, and they've only got one finals appearance to show for it. They've lost in the conference finals, what, three or four times now. Um, and so they just keep falling short and it, they're always kind of ugly games. Like tonight they scored 84 points. That was their lowest output of the entire season. Um, it was reminiscent of 2018 against the Cavs when they lost, when they couldn't make any shots. I think they scored in the 70s in that game. So they've just had a lot of really ugly last games that have not looked good for them. And so I think that we overreact a little bit. Like Tatum is still 25. It's pretty typical of your star player to really uh, go on that deep run when you're age 27, 28. I mean, that's look at Jokic. It's taken him to that age to get there. Giannis was a, ahead of schedule. Um, but even guys like LeBron, Michael Jordan, they didn't do it till age 27, age 28. Steph wasn't until around that age. Durant wasn't around until that age. Um, so history says that you should not judge a guy at age 25. Um, and he did make the finals already. So it's just tough. I It's it's hard not to look like, oh, my God, they keep losing. They keep losing in uh, before the finals, and then they made it, and they look bad in the finals. But let's say next year they just run it back. Are they not going to be one of the top two favorites in the East? Easily they will be. Them and the Bucks will be the favorites again. Um, I think those two plus the Nuggets, maybe the Suns, um, and then maybe another team, depending on, on the offseason moves they make, are probably the favorites to win the whole thing, too. Um, so I wouldn't overreact too much. My my opinion on trading Brown has less to do with them flaming out and more to do with the salary situation. And just I think Brown is kind of is what he is at this point. And he's a little older than Tatum. Uh, he's kind of reached that typical peak age of around 27. So I'm just not convinced that he's going to improve much more. And I also just think that the the core of this team, Brown and Tatum, it's a really solid duo, but they haven't had a ball handler around them to really take the pressure off them late in games. And these two guys just aren't meant to be super high usage ball in their hand guys, like a Luka or a Harden in his prime where 
like they make good decisions or they are really um, safe with the ball. Like Brown is uh, Brown and Tatum average seven turnovers combined per game in this series. The Heat only average eleven as a team. Like they've got almost as many turnovers as the whole um, Miami team in this series. So. They just need uh, smart is not that guy to me. Brogdon is a, is a, a shoot first guy. White is uh, same sort of thing. Like none of them are true point guards. They haven't had one. They had Kemba. He was not a, a point guard really. Kyrie is a shoot first guy. Um, even Isaiah Thomas. I mean, everybody they've had is shoot first. They have not really had a table setter, uh, which I think would really do them wonders. So disappointing end of the season for the Celtics. But I will say. It didn't really feel like it was going to be their year anyway. I know some years you go into it um, and you just feel really solid about your team. You got some good mojo. You win the close games. You show up when it matters most. And they just didn't have that this year. I know they, after their hot start, kind of felt like they played kind of uh, so-so throughout most of the rest of the regular season. They didn't finish particularly strong. The first round probably shouldn't have went six games. The second round probably shouldn't have went seven games. And then the conference finals, they shouldn't have lost. So um, as Doc Rivers would say, they just playing with their meat too damn much. So now we'll move over to the Western Conference where the Nuggets actually did sweep the Lakers despite its seemingly being a close series. Uh, Really all four of the games were close and the Lakers had a chance to win all of them. Uh, The Nuggets actually... Only won all four games by an average of six points. Uh, They won game one by six, game two by five, game three by 11, and game four by two. And really the biggest issue for the Lakers is that the Nuggets had basically one run or one quarter or one span of the game where they would lose the game every game. And they pretty much would play them equal for 40 minutes and then they'd have some eight-minute stretch where they totally get outplayed and they were never able to recover from that. Um, but, and it happened in different parts of the game. In game one, um, the Lakers got off to an awful start defensively and the, the Nuggets were making basically everything. I mean, they give up 37 points in the first quarter, 35 in the second, found themselves down um, by 18 at halftime. Um, then they made a huge run in the third um, uh, to cut it a little close before... Uh, Jokic ends up hitting a buzzer beater, uh, pretty demoralizing shot there, which actually ended up making a difference because in the fourth, they get off to a very good start, start to defend Jokic very well by putting Hachimura on him and letting Anthony Davis actually act as sort of a, uh, rim protector, roamer, help defender, which is really when he's at his best defensively, um, especially more so than like a one-on-one, uh, defender on a guy like Jokic, but really no one can guard him. So, uh, <laughs> I think we all knew the Hachimura thing wasn't going to be some uh, trick that, oh, we figured out how to guard Jokic, put this uh, 6'8 uh, average defender on him. <laughs> but in that game, the Lakers ended up having a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter before missing uh, some shots down the stretch, and Denver ended up winning game one. Uh, then in game two, the Lakers were winning most of that game, and... Uh, Jamal Murray just went crazy in the fourth quarter and totally blew the game open in that game. He actually uh, was 5 for 17 through three quarters. 
and then went six for seven in the fourth quarter. <laughs> he had 23 of his 37 points in the fourth. Uh, and that was kind of a tough one because the Lakers, it's not like they really played poorly in the fourth. The Nuggets just got red hot in that one. Um, and so they just immediately went on a big run, and the Lakers weren't able to overcome that one either because of that stretch. Then in game three, they kind of had two stretches here, but they go down by 12 after the first quarter, only scored 20 points in that quarter. Um, this is another big Jamal Murray game. He had 37 in this game as well. Um, and then they kind of uh, chipped away in the second and third, um, and they were actually only down by two heading into the fourth, but the Nuggets had another big fourth quarter, and so uh, they were able to pull away to win this one by 11. Uh, and then in game four, Lakers get off to a very hot start. Um, they're actually up 15 at halftime, and LeBron is having a insane game. <laughs> uh, I think he had uh, like 28, 29 points just in the first half. He was uh, making outside shots. I think he started four for four. One of them was a lob where he was trying to pass the ball, and that actually went in. <laughs> he played all but four seconds of this game, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and then the third quarter came around and Denver outscored them 36 to 16. So a complete dominant performance by them in that quarter on both ends of the floor. Uh, the Lakers really didn't have anybody else step up, uh, outside of LeBron. Anthony Davis was inconsistent at best in this series. Not very good in this game either. Finished six for 15 in the clinching game. LeBron cooled off a bit. Uh, Hachimura had probably his worst game offensively. Uh, Reeves was still pretty good, but uh, he just wasn't getting the volume that you'd really want out of him, um, given how well he played. Uh, Schroeder didn't play well. Russell was almost unplayable by the end of the series, um, and really was. I mean, he lost his starting spot down the stretch. Um, and this was another game that was up for grabs. The Lakers had the ball um, with the chance to send it to overtime or win the game. Um, and they had a great defensive play, double-teaming LeBron, and he just kind of lost the ball and couldn't get it off uh, an actual shot on the basket. So Denver ends up sweeping, and a large reason for that is the greatness of Nikola Jokic. He's really on an all-time run right now. I mean, he has been phenomenal in the playoffs so far. Uh, he's averaging just under 30 points, 10 assists, 13 rebounds, uh, shooting 54% from the field, 47% from three, which was well above his uh, season average as well as his career average. Uh, and really his stats across the playoffs for his whole career are <laughs> pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's he's now 27, 12, and 7, uh, 52% from the field, 41% from three, 82% from the free throw line. So um, crazy efficiency, um, great playmaking stats. He's an elite rebounder. Um, he's scored as well as anyone in this five-year span he's had making the playoffs. Um, and his three-point shooting particularly has gone way up uh, in the playoffs. He's 41% compared to only 35% for his career in the regular seasons. He actually did not shoot the ball as well this series as he has. This is I mean, an impossible standard to live up to, but he had five games the entire year coming into this series, including postseason where he shot below 50%. That's just insanity. But he actually had three in this series alone. So um, a, more than a third of his games on the entire season where he shot below 50% were in this this 
series. So I actually think the Lakers defended him really as well as anyone has, at least from a scoring perspective. Um, he had a 9-for-19 game, 9-for-21, 11-for-24. Um, not that those are awful shooting games, but they're not up to his normal standard after he went 12-for-17 in game one. <laughs> um, but he had a massive impact otherwise. I mean, game one is one of the most ridiculous stat lines I've ever seen in the playoffs. 34 points, 21 rebounds, and 14 assists. Uh, then game two, he had 17 rebounds, 12 assists. Uh, and then in the closeout game, uh, he had a 30-point game with 14 uh, rebounds and 13 assists. So uh, for the series overall, um, he averaged 28, 15, and 12, uh, shooting above 50% and 47% from three. He did win finals, uh, conference finals MVP. But Jamal Murray was arguably as deserving. He had a spectacular series. He shot... Um, 50, 40, 90, uh, efficiency wise, as well as, uh, 32 and a half points per game, six rebounds, five assists. And it's really, really impressive. The kind of player he is in the playoffs. It's actually crazy how underwhelming his stats have actually been during the regular season. This was his first season ever. He even averaged five assists. Um, he's only averaged above 20 points per game one time in his career, um, he's a 37% shooter from three for his career, which, uh, is good, but we, th I think a lot of people should think of him as some elite shooter. He still had multiple seasons of sub 35%, uh, from three point range, 45% from field goal, uh, overall is respectable, but fine. But then in the playoffs, um, he bumps his scoring average up from 17 for his career to 25 uh, his three-point shooting is up to 41% for his career. Uh, his assists are six, uh, which is basically his career high for a season, uh, but that's spanned over three playoff runs. Um, and he's 48% from the field. So his efficiency overall goes up. His shooting from three goes up. His playmaking goes up. Um, his defense is actually held up just fine. I know people don't really think of him as a good defender, but he certainly isn't a liability on that end. And his scoring, I mean, he was 27 points per game on their conference finals run in the bubble, 28 points per game during this playoff run. So I think it's definitely time to start um, thinking about him as a little higher level play player than we've thought. Uh, he's never really been an all-star caliber guy during the regular season and deservingly so that he hasn't made a game. Uh, he just hasn't, when you look at his stats compared to some of the other stats guys are putting up in the overall impact and the consistency it really hasn't been there but in the playoffs it has been there way more than a lot of other guys so um this certainly is a is a big playoff run in my eyes for murray just in terms of how i view him as a player i don't know if he's gonna go back to only averaging 20 points and five assists in the, the regular season next year or if he'll be able to actually carry it over this time because he looks obviously fully healthy at this point um but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes into next year and averages 24 a game and bumps his assists up to seven and shoots a little higher percentage than we've seen over other regular seasons. So um, it's been that kind of playoff run for him. Uh, and just in this series, I mean, he had two 37-point games. Uh, he made four three-pointers in game one, six in game two, five in game three. Um, he shot above 50% in three out of the four games. Um, he had at least five assists in every game. He had... Uh, a double double in one game. 
He didn't turn the ball over nearly at all. I mean, he only had uh, seven turnovers for the entire se- Sorry, 11 turnovers for the whole series. Um, he was just phenomenal for this team. And they not only do they not make the finals without him on this run, they don't win this series at least as handily as they did if he plays like he does in the regular season. Considering how close these games were, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers literally actually won the series if he just plays how he does in the in the regular season. But he's been that good in the playoffs, and um, it's been really, really in- impressive to see. He had a really good case to win Western Conference Finals MVP. I probably would have given it to Jokic, as I said when I um, said I would have given it to Jimmy Butler. I, I kind of prefer that award to just go to who the best player on the team was, even if they ne- didn't necessarily have the best series, even though, I mean, <laughs> Butler and Jokic had plenty good of a series. But I think when we look back, it's going to look better to say, oh, yeah, Jokic got that MVP. Kind of like when Iguodala got the MVP over Curry. Kind of felt justified at the time, but when you look back, you're just like, man, I just Curry probably should have got it. Um, but again, all their role players just continue to play uh, as well as they really could. I mean, um Contavious Caldwell Pope shot 44% from three. Again, in this series, high percentage. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., not great from the field overall, but shot the lights out from three, 42%. And he hasn't really turned into the third reliable scorer you'd hope. Um, when they drafted him and he showed some flashes early, he certainly <laughs> has a lot to uh, leave desired as a playmaker. That's just not really his game. But at worst, he's still just like a glorified uh, a three-point shooter in the three and D type role. He's not phenomenal on defense, but he's gotten a lot better. Uh, he really has. He was a huge liability before, and he's not really that anymore. Um, but normally, when you get the role guys that are like the stand in the corner, shoot three, um, when they're open type guys, they're really inconsistent, and they uh can have some really bad stretches. But He's really, really consistent with it. He had the highest effective field goal percentage on cap, catch and shoot threes in the regular season. Um, and so far in the playoffs, he's second at a pretty absurd 80%. Um, that's effective field goal percentage, not overall. But uh, yep, he's just been really solid for them. He shot the ball well all playoffs. Aaron Gordon didn't shoot the ball well from three in this series, but still was 13 points a game, 54% from the field. Great defense. Um on both LeBron and AD throughout different parts of the series. Uh, Bruce Brown has continued to play well. Uh, He shot the ball pretty well from three, above 50% from the field, averaged 12 points a game. He's just been rock, rock solid for them off the bench. And then even Jeff Green shot 40% from three off the bench. So they just continue to get contributions from guys. Um, When uh, KCP doesn't have a one night, Aaron Gordon steps up. When Gordon's not shooting the ball well, Michael Porter Jr. will have a good game. And so they just, this is why they've made it this far. This is why they've been the one seed all year long. They've got guys that start in their role and continue to do so. And like I said, they've really been the best team all year long. And if they can beat the Heat in four or five games, which a lot of people think they um, have a chance to, this could go down as one of the more impressive playoff runs we've had in a long time. I mean, they've only lost three games to this point. Um, so especially if they swept the Heat and go 16-3, and three, that's that's going to be hard to argue with historically in terms of just only losing three games in a playoff run is really, really difficult to do, um, especially when you consider the star players they've had to go through between um, Booker, Durant, LeBron, AD, um, and then with how well Jimmy Butler has played as well. 
Um, so with that said, though, I do want to <laughs> talk about one thing. I am so damn tired of Michael Malone playing up this underdog narrative. They were a toss-up to beat the Suns. It was basically a pick'em series. Um, but they've been a favorite in every other series. They were favored over the Lakers, despite the Lakers being the Lakers. Um, they were favored, obviously, over the Wolves. They were the one seed all year long. Um, they had home court against everybody they've played. They've had the best player in the series, every team they've played. And so I'm just... The, they're, it's overkill. A ton of people picked them to make the finals. Everybody picked them to beat the Wolves. A lot of, I'd say more than half the people picked them to beat the Lakers. Uh, the Suns, I really think after they saw the Suns play in the first uh, round, a lot of, most people picked the Nuggets too. I mean, they've been favorites throughout this whole run, really. And so I'm so tired of this narrative that he's been putting out. I mean, it's such overkill. He keeps saying, no one believed in us. No one believed in us. No one talks about the Nuggets. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, what else do you want? Game one, when Jokic was going off, my Twitter feed was literally a, a Jokic suck-off fest. I mean, it was <laughs> it was ridiculous. The dude gets plenty of recognition. He's literally a two-time MVP and finished in the top three this year as well. I don't know what else you want. Um, everybody's going to pick them to beat the Heat. I don't know how they're going to spin this one into a underdog role, but... Um, with that said, Nuggets have been extremely impressive. I, I certainly didn't think that they would beat the Lakers um, this handily. I think I had Nuggets in six, so I thought they would win. Didn't really understand the um, people picking the Lakers just because of how good the Nuggets have been. But uh, they need to pump the brakes a little bit on the underdog thing. <laughs> but moving to the Lakers side of things, um, they just weren't consistent as a team. And... Uh, really all of their players. So um, just starting with LeBron, he didn't have a bad series by, by any means. Um, I mean, he averaged 28, 10, and 10. <laughs> so pretty good series. He still didn't shoot the ball well. 27% from three um, was not great, but above 50% overall. So um, you got about as much as you could have hoped out of him. But the thing with him is he's just not the same player late in games. Um, during his prime, especially with the second run with the Cavs, I mean, late in the game, he was just going to make the big shot. He was going to make a big play. You just felt like you, if you had him on your team, you had a much better chance than your opponent in winning a close game. Um, but I don't know. Just he, he settles way too much these days. Like He just loves, loves, loves doing that hero ball three late in games. And... It just doesn't, it never goes in. I mean, maybe one out of 10 times and sure the one it's cool and it's demoralizing for the other team, but it's just not an effective shot. It's not a good shot. And he cares more about hitting the cool, impressive shot sometimes than actually making the right play and getting a good shot. Um, and he's just harder to stop going to the basket than he used to be. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I just feel like... Every time there was a close game and they needed a big play, they didn't execute well. They didn't. They don't play well like down two with a minute to go because LeBron just doesn't have the same sort of late game juice that he's had in the past, um, decision making wise and also just shot making wise. Um, and then Anthony Davis was 
just his same inconsistent self in this series. Um, he had a great game one and then an awful game two and then a great game three and then an awful game four. So it was your classic AD alternate day, uh, whatever you want to call him. Um, I mean, he shot 61% in game one, 27% in game two, 61% in game three, 40% in game four. So that's kind of how it was for them all postseason. He was good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. But the difference is they were winning the good games and um, this series, they just didn't. Um, they, they couldn't get enough out of the other guys. I think that he wasn't able to have as much of a defensive impact as he had in the other series just because Jokic is one of those guys that's just impossible to guard, even with a uh, elite defender like Davis because – Maybe he can stop him from scoring, but there's only so much he can do uh, as a playmaker. And then if you uh, have him roam like he did at times during the series where he's not guarding Jokic one-on-one, it's a little better to help him stop uh, playmaking, but then he's just going to bully you inside. Um, And so, yeah, they just didn't get everything they needed out of Davis. I mean, his stats end up looking decent, but that's kind of how it's been all playoffs where his good games are so good that his averages end up looking good, even though his uh, the consistency just wasn't there. But then the the role guys really didn't play well in this one. Uh, Schroeder was sub-40 from the field in the series. Um, Hachimura played well, um, but he had his worst game by far in Game 4 when they really needed him to step up. Um, Vanderbilt was, I mean, barely playable. He only played in three of the games, 41 total minutes for the series. Um, Lonnie Walker, sub 40% from the field. Um, D'Angelo Russell was just God, God awful in this series. I mean, they were a plus 24 when he was on the bench in this series and a minus 24 when he wasn't. So, um, that's a massive swing, a 40.8, uh, <laughs> swing there. Um, and then he, I mean, he was two for four in game four cause he barely played, uh, less than 15 minutes, but Outside of that, he didn't have a single game where he even shot 40%. He was 4 for 11 in game one, 3 for 8 in game two, and 1 for 8 in game three. Um, and then from three for the series, I mean, he was 2 for uh, 15 overall. He didn't turn the ball over a time because he didn't have the ball much because he wasn't playing much. And uh, when he was, he was just missing shots. So, um he was really, really bad offensively, but even worse defensively. I mean, they were attacking, attacking, attacking him. It, it's a bummer for him because I really think he was so bad that it's it's going to affect their decisions with him in the offseason. I think they were pretty satisfied with how he had played overall um, in the regular season and then in the playoffs before this. Uh, and I think they probably would have brought him back, but I think they saw how, how bad he can be. Uh in this series and it's if there's better options out there which there will be I mean we'll, we've seen them linked to Kyrie there was a report today that came out that they might want to do a sign and trade of sorts for Fred Van Vliet and so I wouldn't blame them for tr- moving on from him I anyone who's listened to me knows that I am probably the biggest D'Angelo Russell hater of anyone out there when they made this trade I actually thought that they would have been better off just getting Mike Conley from the Jazz instead um, and not even having it as a three-team deal. But it is what it is. They got him, and he had some good moments for them this year. But this series just showed um, how major his flaws can be, uh, especially 
uh, late in games and on the defensive end. So, But the one bright spot for the Lakers was Austin Reeves, who was awesome, not only in this series but the whole playoff run. All four games he shot above 50%. Um, he shot above 50% or, or 50% or better in every game from three-point ranges as well. He had games of 23, 22, 23, 17. Um, he had eight assists in one game, five assists in two other games. Um, he didn't turn the ball over a ton. Um, he only had seven throughout the whole series. And he was awesome for them. I mean, I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. Uh, for this series overall, um, he shot 55% and 56% from three. He averaged 21 a game. And honestly, I think they one of the reasons that they didn't, win at least a game in this series is because they didn't go to him enough. I mean, he just didn't take as many shots as he should have. He only took six more shots than Hachimura. Um, and I know he was third on the team in shots, but like, honestly, sometimes I trust him with the ball, uh, <laughs> in a big moment more than I trust, uh, Davis or LeBron is, but if LeBron's going to be settling for shots, I'd rather Reeves take a three, um, when Reeves had the ball, good things happened. Um, he's a, an underrated playmaker for others. He can create his own shot. The idea that he's just this spot-up shooter is a, a total just n- false statement. He's actually really good with the ball. He, he can get a nice little mid-range float game going for himself. He can get to the basket. He's a reliable three-point shooter. I mean, he I've heard, I know I heard this comp, and it's the classic only compare white guys to white guys thing, but... Uh, it, he really does remind me of Gordon Hayward, and I hate saying that because of the the uh, the race thing. But like, seriously, they do play really similarly. Like they they're they're good ball handlers, even though they're not point guards. Um, they're good shooters. They can get their own shot, create a little for others. So um, he's gonna get a a good contract this off season. It's gonna maybe be tough for the Lakers to keep him, but. They should do whatever they can because he's still only 24 and he's not because of how uh, small his contract is now and the rules with like uh, the percentage of raises you can get in one contract to the next. He's not going to be massively overpaid like he could be um, if he was making more than he is right now. But he was really the, the main bright spot for the Lakers in this series outside of LeBron uh, playing well overall. Um, but I also thought Darvin Ham, he had been really good throughout these playoffs, but he wasn't quite as good in this one. I mean, I, I really think, like I said, that he should have put the ball in Reeves' hands a little bit more. I thought D'Angelo Russell should have been benched earlier um, just based on how poorly he was playing offensively and how much of a liability he was on defense. Um, they really didn't have any answers for Jokic or Murray. I know, like I said, Jokic shot the ball not quite as well, um, as he had in other series or throughout the year, but he was as dominant of a playmaker as he's been all year. He was an absolute monster uh, rebounding the ball. They had no answer for Murray whatsoever. I mean, this was one of his best um, stretches of his whole career, honestly, at, um, outside of maybe that series against Utah in the bubble. Um, and they just didn't have very good late-game execution, in my opinion. Um, and they also, like I said earlier, they would have one quarter uh, in each game that they would basically blow the game. They would play them even for 40 minutes or outscore them um, a little bit for 40 minutes, and then they'd have an eight-minute or eight minute stretch where they would just get totally dominated, and that was the game basically. 
Um, but overall, I think the Lakers have to be completely ecstatic with their season, just given where they were. They had pretty much no business at all um, <laughs> uh, making it to the Western Conference Finals, given that they were outside of the plan at the All-Star break and at the, before the trade deadline as well. So this was really a best-case scenario for them. They couldn't have really expected anything more upsetting, um, both um, – the Grizzlies and the Warriors and then making it to the conference finals. So, but I worry given that if this team kind of peaked here, I'm going to give LeBron the benefit of the doubt and say that he needed that foot surgery before I say he's totally washed, but I will say that, I mean, he's definitely not totally washed, but before I say he's majorly declined, I think that he played way better than this, even just a few months ago before the injury. So I think that, he might just be hobbled from that and he might come back and be just as good next year as he was. But I can't rule out that he's just a little, um, that he's declined right now with the way he played, I wouldn't have him as a top 10 player. I'd have him right on the, I'd have him close in the like nine to 12 range. So still a very, very good player and elite player, but just, I think guys like, um, Booker Tatum, um, even like Jimmy Butler, like all of them, how could you not take them over him right now? Even Kawhi, when he's healthy, um, we saw how good he was to start these playoffs. So there's a case to be made that Davis was the better player on the Lakers throughout this playoff run. I think a lot of people did feel that way. I personally, I don't know if I'd even go that far just because Davis, I mean, he can't put three good games offensively together in a row it he's he's incapable <laughs> so um yeah but with that being said i know lebron was talking about retirement i see zero percent chance that he retires i just i can't see it i don't there's no way in hell he's not going to do a farewell tour this dude loves attention and that's probably why he uh is even talking about it because he wants the attention um, I know people were saying he's trying to control the narrative, and there probably is some truth to that. He's very intentional. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to, um, I, mean, I don't want to say manipulate the media, but he knows how to um, get them talking about what he wants them to be talking about. So, But I, if he did, it would be very sad. Um, I'd like him to do a farewell tour. I'm a big LeBron guy. It would be very sentimental uh, to... Uh, see him do it, and I hope he gets another long, deep playoff run at some point. Um, but if this was the last one, it was it was a valiant one. They lost to a better team. Um, I think Jokic pretty much is the best player in the world thing locked up, at least for right now. Um, it'd be pretty hard to argue unless he implodes in the finals. But I don't even know if this guy's capable of imploding. We haven't seen anything like that. He's basically, even in his bad playoff series, he has – Puts up huge numbers, so um, I doubt he's going to. <laughs> but moving to the finals that is starting tomorrow, as I said, the Heat and the Nuggets uh, will tip off at 8.30 tomorrow. And I might feel dumb doing this again, saying the Heat don't have a chance. <laughs> I said they would not beat the Celtics. I said obviously they would not beat the Bucks. I think I picked the Bucks in five. I picked the Celtics in seven, um, so I thought it would be a close series, and mostly because I think the Celtics play like idiots, and that's what they did, but I was 
give them too much credit because they played even slightly more like idiots than I thought they would. Um, and the Heat played like adults, which is what they tend to do. But I am probably going to pick Nuggets in five. And that has more to do with the Nuggets. It's not me sleeping on the Heat. I think the Nuggets are just really good. I think the Celtics were not very good, um, at least as a cohesive team, which is why I had Heat um, losing in seven. And honestly, I I actually might be tempted to go Nuggets in four, but I'm going to give the, the Heat one game because out of respect for Spolstra and Butler and what they've done on this run, I don't think that they will get swept because they're just playing too well right now and they will steal at least one game um, with their defense and shooting. And they've been really hot shooting overall, and I think they'll have at least one game where they make close to 23s and end up winning. So, But I also I just think it's Jokic's time. I don't know how the Heat are going to guard them um, with him. I mean, Bam is giving up probably three, four inches on Jokic, and they don't have anybody else to guard him. I mean, if you put Cody Zeller on him, that's going to be a disaster. You put Kevin Love on him, that's going to be a disaster. They don't have another guy in their rotation um, that's even 6'9 or taller outside of those three guys. And look, I think Bam is going to do his best. But I'd, even if they send doubles at him, which they probably will switch up their defense. Um, I don't know if they're going to play that zone a bit, but I worry the zone is an awful idea because Jokic is quite literally the perfect player that you could craft in a laboratory to break a good zone. <laughs> a elite passer and playmaker who is bigger than everybody else on the court and can also make shots. So... I don't think that's going to be a good idea. I think they're probably going to have to play straight up a little bit more, maybe send doubles at him. But the Nuggets role players have just proven time after time after time that if you double Jokic, he's going to get the ball to them and they're going to make shots. Um, at least one, one or two of them is going to make shots every game. And honestly, I think that the Nuggets are a worthy champion because I think Jokic, like I said, it's just his time. And, I, and I'll say that if he does win this um, – his resume is really getting up there. Uh, he's a five-time All-NBA player. Um, he'll now have two MVPs. I assume he would win the finals MVP. Um, he'd be on a similar track to Giannis. Both of them would have the two MVPs with the one finals MVP. Um, and he'd really be heading towards the top 25-ish territory for players all time. And I know he's not done, so you'd have to think that by the time he hangs it up, he'll maybe sneak into the top, that top 20, and he's got a chance to be the best international player of all time, which I think right now is Dirk Nowitzki. Um, but it might be a little battle between Jokic and Giannis to see who can um, at least get close to challenging Dirk for that. But um, if he was to win, all three of them would have one ring. Um, Dirk also got one MVP where uh, Jokic and Giannis have two. But um, if he wins, there's no doubt, please, best player in the world. I think, honestly, he probably already has it, uh, especially with just the way that Giannis went out. But I think the Heat will put up a fight. Um, like I said, I'm going to give them at least a game. Would I be shocked if this went six? No, because I do respect the Heat. I think that they have the better coach. Um, and the thing is, they've had the better coach and kind of the better player in every series they've played because Giannis didn't play for more than half of the first round. So Butler was the best player, given that that was true. The second round, Butler was obviously the best player. Um between the Heat and the Knicks. And then 
Tatum and Jimmy is kind of a toss-up at this point, depending on your preference. I might even put Jimmy above him at this point after this run. But he certainly played better than Tatum. So they've had basically the best player in the series and the better coach in the series for every series they played. I think they still have the coaching advantage in this finals matchup. However, Jokic is just better, and I think Jokic will have a better series. Jimmy actually has not shot the ball as well um, overall. But they, I think that they're just better equipped to defend a team like the Celtics, who's wing and guard heavy, no inside presence. But the Heat just don't have the size, and so I don't know how they're going to guard uh, the Nuggets. No one's really been able to guard the Nuggets, even the Lakers, who have um, all the size you could want on the wing. And then you've got Anthony Davis down low. Um, they had options to throw at him, and they've been great defensively all playoffs, and especially um, post uh, trade deadline and they still really weren't able to slow them down at all I mean they took Jokic out from a scoring perspective a little bit but then Murray just went crazy on them and they um, were not able to handle Jokic as a playmaker and uh, a score really were only to do one at a time and so I think the Heat will be the same I don't know who they're going to throw at Murray um, I imagine Butler might try to ask to be the the guy on him there but They'll probably put Martin on him a bit. Um, Lowry's still a pretty decent defender overall, but they're going to have to put different looks at the Nuggets, I think, to even have a, a decent chance. But, um, yeah, I think Nuggets in five is what I'm going with, and I feel pretty good about that. I um, would be pretty surprised if the Heat won. But, hey, if the Heat somehow pulled this off, I... I just won't know what to do with this team historically. Like, my mind cannot comprehend the possibility of them winning the championship this year. It would completely break every precedent ever that's ever happened in the league. There's no historical comp to this in terms of a player who's not a clear-cut top-five guy with also a not-very-good supporting cast. We've had guys with um, – not great supporting casts win a championship because they were that good. It was like an MVP guy, a top five guy, an all-time guy. And we've had guys uh, with really good supporting casts that were not necessarily a top five guy, um, top ten guy. Um, but we've never had the combination of the not great supporting cast and the not clear-cut top guy. Um, and that's what this would be. So I, I, I can't comprehend this heat team winning I just it would be totally anomalous and I can't <laughs> I don't know what I would do it would literally like break my mind in terms of like how I view the NBA and uh, just basketball in general so that's another reason why I just can't pick the heat I can't pick the heat it's been a great run we've seen somewhat comparable runs like sort of sorts but they don't normally don't lead to a championship they come to an end at some point this happens in uh, lots of sports, you get a, a nice run, but they typically fall short. And typically, the best team wins. Um, typically, the more... Like, I, I want to look back on this season and be like, yes, the Nuggets deserved to win that that year. They were great all year. Um, and if we look back and see the Heat won, it's just going to it's gonna feel weird. Um, <laughs> not, that, not that I don't love this Heat team. I do. Um, but it, it's... Uh, It'd be a little too crazy. I can't see it. So Nuggets in five. That's going to do it for today's episode, wrapping up the conference finals. Uh, we've got game one of the finals tomorrow night, probably um, 
by the time you listen to this, it'll be today uh, <laughs> that the, the finals are on. Um, I will probably do a little bit more f- uh, higher frequency um, of episodes as we go through the finals just because there's only one series to cover. So it's a little easier to get more in detail and in depth on what we're watching. Um, I don't know if I'll do it after every single game, but maybe after the first two games in Denver and then after the next two in Miami and then uh, we will see where uh, the series goes from there. Um, but thank you so much for listening um, and I will chat with you soon. Thank you.